Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the No Silicast Podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, February 21st, 2021, and this is show number 824. Way back in 2017, on Taming the Terminal installment 37 of N, Bart taught us about SSH agents and the advantage of using a passphrase to further protect your SSH keys. In the intervening four years, things have changed a bit in macOS, so we decided to do a supplemental update to installment 37 of Taming the Terminal. We review a bit about why SSH keys are what they are from installment 30, and then we discuss how much easier and cleaner things are on macOS with the clean integration of your identity, your passphrase, and Apple's keychain. You can find the replaced show notes for Taming the Terminal 37 at ttt.bartificer.net, and you can find the podcast under Taming the Terminal or the full Chit Chat Across the Pond feed. Now, we tried to do something tricky with the Taming the Terminal feed. We put 37A, this supplemental episode we created, we put it at the same date as 37. So we, we were hoping it would show up as a new episode, but with the right date, but it doesn't. So you got to go back to 2017. You got to scroll through and look for the old uh, dates and you'll see 37 and then 37A is this new one. Now, if you've downloaded the Taming the Terminal book, you need to go back to podfeed.com slash book to get a fresh version of the updated notes. One of the things in there is a link to the Apple Bookstore, and I haven't yet updated the book in Apple Books, but I tried really hard. I'm going to certainly pass along the information if and when I do succeed, but it appears that I need a very old Apple app entitled iTunes Producer right? iTunes, right? I have to use iTunes producer in order to update the book. iTunes producer is sold. It doesn't support two-factor authentication. So that means I have to get an Apple generate, I have to have Apple generate an app-specific password over at appleid.apple.com. Well, that's not a big deal. I've done that before and it's worked really well, like with third-party mail clients and things like BusyCal, you have to use a third, uh, an app-specific password. So I did. I went over and I created the app-specific password, but iTunes producer will not accept the generated, the Apple-generated app-specific password. I mean, it was created by Apple service. iTunes producer doesn't create it. Why is it even called iTunes? And why doesn't it have, or why doesn't it have two-factor authentication? Why do I have to use something called iTunes to update a book? Not that I'm frustrated at all by this. But anyway, if you go to podfeet.com slash book, you can get all of the other versions of the book with the updates. So you can get the PDF version, uh, you can get it in a, a US 8.5 by 11, or you can get it in A4, you can get it in A5, you can get an EPUB version of it that will work with audio, and it's it's a wonderful thing. So if you don't want to wait for Apple's uh, iBookstore or Apple Bookstore to work, don't worry about it. We'll, uh, we'll get it for you eventually, I promise. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I promise. If I can't figure this out, I'm not sure I can promise. Probably going to spend two hours on the phone with Apple trying to get it fixed. I have an embarrassing story to tell, and I hope it will serve as a lesson to us all. Let me start this by saying, I'm an idiot. When Apple announced the AirPods Max, I was immediately enchanted with them. I had to have them. They were so cool. I mean, Apple wouldn't make something I didn't want or need, right? I wear headphones for many hours of the day, as you can well imagine. I need comfortable headphones above all else. Comfort. That's the whole story here. Sound quality isn't actually that important to me since I only listen to the spoken word with my headphones, and it's usually me talking that I'm listening to. 
When Apple showed the netting headband on AirPods Max, my immediate thought was, wow, that's going to be really comfortable. Now, I didn't push the buy button because it was right before Christmas, and I knew that Steve would buy them for me. I checked later on the day of the announcement and noticed that the delivery dates were already pushed out months, and I really hoped he jumped on them right away. Spoiler, he did not buy me the AirPods Max, and boy, am I glad he didn't. As the days and weeks went by, I realized that these would have been a super dumb purchase. Now remember, my number one criteria is comfortable. That sweet netting headband I was so excited about can't possibly make headphones comfortable that weigh nearly a pound. I mean, these things are 13.6 ounces. AirPods Max headphones are designed with two big features, noise cancellation and Bluetooth connectivity. The last thing in the world you want when you're using headphones as studio monitors is to have noise cancellation. The other last thing in the world you want when you're monitoring your own voice is Bluetooth. You simply have to use headphones wired because Bluetooth has a lag that's way too long. Now, I believe that with years of training, there is a human on Earth who can speak normally while hearing their own voice 300 milliseconds after they speak, but I am not that person. That means on top of spending $549 for AirPod Max, I would have needed to also buy the cable, which I forget how much it is, $25, $30. So they're probably uncomfortable, and the two main features for which I'd be paying are simply unusable for me. Other than that, it's a great idea. I worried greatly that Steve would be super excited to hand me this present and I'd have to tell him to send them back. Luckily, he's insane, as you may have heard he bought me something else for Christmas from Apple. Now, I want to explain that while wanting the AirPods Max was dumb, I'm even dumber than that. I have to back up a little bit and tell the story of my original headphones first. In 2005, I was in an Apple store and they had a set of headphones on display. They were the Bose Triport TP1A Around the Ear headphones. I put them on and they felt amazing. The ear cups gently went around my ears with soft faux leather and they weighed an imperceptible five ounces. Remember, the AirPods Max are 13 and a half ounces. I listened to the song Daughters by John Mayer on those headphones and I have a very happy association with the song as a result. You know that if I remember exactly what I heard on them 16 years ago, they had to be delightful. I've been wearing those same headphones all these years. The earcups eventually fell apart, but Steve found me some replacements and they were again delightful. You wouldn't believe how many times I've caught my foot in the cable standing up and nearly dragged my laptop off the desk, and yet the cable connection on the Bose has never broken. I mean, it's astonishing. I don't understand who, whoever designed the strain relief on those things over-designed it. In 2018, Steve and I interviewed Gary Boss from Audio-Technica at the National Association of Broadcasters Conference. He let me try in a pair of their professional studio monitor headphones, model ATH-M60X. You can even hear me throw a hint at Steve during the video interview that I wanted them for my birthday. They were very comfortable and lovely. Studio monitor headphones are for listening to audio being created by you or by others. I monitor my own voice while recording, like I said, and I do that so I can hear if there's like a hiss on the line or I'm peaking or my USB interface isn't, isn't keeping up. So it's making that click that I've complained about, which is why I bought the Apollo Solo uh, Thunderbolt 3 device. Uh, so I can hear that. That's how I know. I hear those clicks because I'm monitoring my own voice. I can hear if the sound of the garbage truck is going by and it's being picked up on my recordings. When it came time to make my birthday list, uh, I don't think I told him the right ones to buy. I asked him for the Audio-Technica ATH-R70X. Uh, 
So the ATH R70X, which is what I asked him for, is a professional open back reference headphone from Audio-Technica, has a flat frequency response, and it ran for $350. The open back part of this description is what makes this story interesting, but let me get into that in a minute. Remember, again, what's my main criteria for headphones? It's comfort, so let's start there. The ATH R70Xs are crazy comfortable. They're a bit heavier than the Bose I was wearing before, but still extremely light at 7.4 ounces. But it was the design of the band that really helps with the long-time wear. The band itself never touches your head. Built into the band is what they call their 3D wing support system, which is two curved cushion pads that rest gently on the upper sides of your head. Nothing touches the crown of your head, which is where my, my head started to get sore with the bows. Now, compared to the bows, the ear cups on the ATH R70Xs are a smidge shorter, but they're two inches wide, which is 60% wider than the bows. And this allows my ears to flap freely all around inside the headphones. The bows are very nice and still comfortable, but the Audio-Technicas are truly delightful. But there was one problem. After Steve had spent $350 on these headphones, I realized that open back in headphones means that sound comes in from the outside. I was used to having sound fairly isolated by the Bose ear cups, and I wasn't sure if I'd be able to tell if the sound I was hearing while recording was coming through to the recording or not. So I could hear, say, the garbage truck from the outside, but that might not also be going into my microphone. And I didn't realize this until well after the return period, so I sadly put the Audio-Technica ATH, this is hard to say, Audio-Technica ATH R70X, I put them away for in a closet for the last three years. All right, now let's get back to my story, my idiotic belief that the AirPods Max would be the headphones for me. My enthusiasm had already started to wane, especially after I heard about the weight, but something Leo Laporte said on MacBreak Weekly sealed the deal. He was talking about the AirPods Max and gave all the reasons that they would be really dumb for a podcaster like him. And then he said something that made me really pay attention. He explained that in his job, he pretty much wears headphones all day long, and the only ones that are comfortable to wear that long are open-back headphones. Well, hang on. I have a pair of open-back headphones. If they're good enough for Leo to wear all day long, maybe I should dust them off and give them another try. Guess what? I love the Audio-Technica ATH R70X, and I've been wearing them constantly for the last few months. They're super comfortable with the 3D wingtips or whatever they call them. No longer do I find myself rubbing that sore spot on the crown of my head. The open back design means my ears don't get all hot and sweaty after extended wear either. There's another huge benefit to me of the open back design. If you've ever been to the live show, you will know about this. On Sunday nights, the last 15 minutes before showtime is a frantic time at the Podfeet Podcast Studio. Steve and I fire up our equipment and our plethora of apps, and we spend that last 15 minutes trying to be able to both see and hear each other through the, mic the right mics and the right headphones. There are so many switches and dials that control our audio and video, it would make your head spin. I have to set my audio in so many places to get it to work. Hindenburg for recording the show has settings, Discord has its own setting, Loopback has settings, SoundSource has settings, Memo Live has settings. It just goes on and on, and that's only for my side of the input. Steve has a lot of places to set it to, and I have a whole nother set of sliders and switches to be able to hear Steve. Because of this, that last 15 minutes before 5 p.m. on Sunday nights, if you were standing between our two offices, you'd hear, talk again, can't hear you, talk again, over and over and over again. 
If I can't hear Steve yet, then I can't hear him saying, talk again. So with the bows, I'd have to keep one ear cup off my left ear while we were doing this dance because I don't. that's the only way I could hear him that he was talking, but I wouldn't be able to hear him through the headphones if that makes sense. But with these open back headphones, I can hear him faintly, but I can hear him all the time, even with the headphones on. As you can imagine, I'm often wearing, head, often wearing headphones throughout the week, not just during recordings. Again, I can hear Steve if he needs to talk to me. The audio quality of my recordings is pretty darn important to me, but my recordings for Screencast Online have to be even more pristine. If you're listening to the NoSillaCast on your bike ride in Ireland or your car on a commuter while vacuuming, a little click here, a bump microphone there is not really going to make a difference. But when you're watching a video tutorial that you paid for, you'll notice any inconsistencies in the audio. For that reason, I might wear the bows while I'm recording for Screencasts Online and use the Audio Technicas for monitoring my own shows. We'll see. I may, I'll give them a try, though. Now, I mentioned that the Bose cable often gets tangled in my foot, and I nearly yank my laptop off the desk. It's hard to explain how this happens, but I sit cross-legged in my chair when I work, and somehow that causes me to catch the cable with my foot. The Audio Technicas on the other side have a really long cable on them. I think it was uh, over 10 feet long, so I can't possibly yank my laptop off my desk. I mean, I can literally walk across the room and not even move my laptop because this cable is so long. The bottom line of this story is, as I said at the beginning, I'm an idiot. I had Steve buy me the wrong and expensive headphones. Then after getting them, I didn't even give them a good shake to learn how good they were. Then I wanted even more expensive headphones that didn't come close to solving any problems I had, and in fact added problems. Then I went back to the good headphones, and I love them. The Audio-Technica ATH R70X are still listed at Sweetwater, B&H, and at Audio-Technica's own site for $349, but all of them show that it's out of stock. They're not discontinued, but they're just not exactly available. So wasn't this a great review? Aren't you happy? Hopefully they'll come back into, into stock, though. If you're an audio headphone girl and you know all about this and you want to correct everything I said, you know where to find me. But remember that I did say I was an idiot, so you have to be gentle with me. Back in June of 2020, Desmond Lim wrote in telling us that Singapore had created their own COVID contact tracing app called Trace Together. And as expected, it had some big problems. He said the backlash was quick as people's phone batteries were dying quickly since they accessed your location constantly in the background. It was a perfect example of what Bart was telling us about at the time, and we talked about the government's really hoping to have increased tracking capabilities of their citizens and avoided using the Google-Apple API that wouldn't let them do that. Well, Singapore eventually got their app working well, and it's now in widespread usage in Singapore, and it's working, like I said, it's working well. The Trace Together app has two basic functions. First, it's Bluetooth tracing to see who you've been near. But in Singapore, they also have a system where you, when you enter a mall or a shop, you scan a QR code in the Trace Together app and it identifies where you've been in case of an outbreak. If you don't have a smartphone, they also have Bluetooth tokens you wear on a lanyard that have a QR code on them so they can be scanned and traced. He said he'd seen parents with a few tokens around their neck for their young kids and aged parents. A few weeks ago, I contacted Desmond again because I read an article in Bloomberg that explained that Singapore did exactly what was feared. They used the Trace Together app to solve a crime. I was curious to hear Desmond's take on this situation. Desmond replied with a detailed version of what happened in his country and the reaction of the citizens of Singapore. 
I think it's a fascinating story of the culture in Singapore mixed with technology, and I'd like to share his letter with you. Hi, Allison. Wow, I didn't know something like that would go out of the country. Okay, just to recap on what happened. When the contract tracing app was launched, we had the assurance of the government that it would only be used for the COVID-19 situation. A number of months ago, the police found a manslaughter suspect using the contact tracing data that was used that was found on the victim's phone. This was brought up by a member of parliament of the ruling party, and it was then that the public knew the app data was used for something else besides the COVID-19 situation. Boy, was the public angry. The minister in charge of the app said it was an oversight on his part to say that it would never be used for anything else because there's an overarching law that allows the police to use any data deemed relevant to a serious crime investigation, and that law supersedes everything else. Singaporeans wanted blood, and there was a lot of comments on the local papers that stated, we understand nobody can know all, uh, this is a quote, sorry, we understand nobody can know all the laws in a country, but nobody in government works in silo. Does this mean that nobody in the whole police force or the ministry of law knew about this? Why is it it needed an MP to bring it up before we knew about it? The thing is, most of the comments stated one thing. We don't mind the police using that data to solve a manslaughter crime. What we were really angry about is that the government would be happy to just keep quiet about it if nobody knew or brought it up. If they had just said, hey, we made a mistake, we're actually using this data to solve a crime, Singaporeans would have just read it and it would be yesterday's news immediately. The noise was so loud that Parliament had to create a bill, fast-tracked, to say the contact tracing data will only be used for serious crimes like murder, rape, terrorism, etc. It's a very narrow list. It was introduced in Parliament yesterday, as of when he was writing this, and it will be debated on today and should pass by latest tomorrow. He says, it goes on to say, the funny part of this whole situation shows that the government hasn't had a full grasp of the situation. It wasn't the data that we are concerned about. Singaporeans trust our government and our justice system. What we were really unhappy about is that they didn't tell us when it happened, and it felt like they just wanted to hide it and hope it will never see the light of day. For this is an embarrassment to the ruling party to have missed this little part in our law. We wanted an apology and would have been happy with that. The extra law is nice icing. One thing you need to know about our country, we don't protest, not that we can if we wanted to, we vote. So this will stay with us for a long time and before the next general elections, someone will bring this up and the whole country will remember about it. Well, a few days later, Desmond sent along a little follow-up email where he said, the legislation passed yesterday with all MPs in agreement, but with an interesting twist. The government actually apologized for not disclosing it earlier. Allison, I think this might be the year in Singapore it will snow. Well, I want to thank you so much for sending this in, Desmond. I thought it was a fascinating story of the differences in cultures around the world. I can't speak for most countries, but I can guarantee that in the, in the U.S., we'd be angry with them for not telling us, we'd be angry with them for doing it in the first place, and we'd be angry if they apologized, and we'd be angry if they made a law allowing the use of the data, and angry if they made a law not allowing the use of the data. In fact, I may write my Krungus critter right now in advance about this, just in case. But seriously, thanks so much, Desmond, for sharing the story to give us a little peek behind the curtain into life in a country I hope to visit one day. You want to know who is a swell fella? Richard Piazza, that's who. Not only has he been a patron of the Podfeed podcast for the past six months, he just doubled his pledge on Patreon. 
That's one of the many things I love about having friends of the show support the work here that we do through Patreon. If you feel you're getting more value, you can increase your pledge. If you feel you're getting less value, or maybe you just can't afford it anymore, you can decrease your pledge or eliminate it entirely. You are in control of how you support the shows. If you'd like to be swell like Richard, head on over to podfeed.com slash Patreon and choose the dollar amount that's right for you. If you can't afford to support the shows financially, but you still get value, how about you tell a friend or write a review in Apple Podcasts? Go spread the love. Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Bouchot. Uh <laughs> Are we going to have some fun today, Bart? I hope so. I hope so. We have three weeks of news to catch up on, uh, but it's tolerable. Uh, the scroll, well, there is a lot, but it's it's digestible. So we, we should have uh, we should have fun. Cool. So we have lots of feedback to catch up on since last we spoke, which is great. Actually, we're getting a lot of uh, closing the loop from listeners and just stories that are continuing to develop. So it's I like this feedback bit. So hopefully it grows over time. So both of us fairly ruthlessly mocked a Chinese railroad company for relying on Flash for any part of their operation. And I'm only going to take back half of my mockery. (laughs) But we should take back half of our mockery because uh, listener Tom Merritt was kind enough to uh, send us on some more details. And the reporting on Apple Daily was not entirely accurate. So okay. Apple Daily said they had replaced Flash with a a pirated version of Flash. No, they went back to a version of Flash before they added in the self-destruct timer into Flash, which is actually a very sensible thing to do. We'd also said they couldn't dispatch trains or do any shunting, but that also apparently was not true. It really was just their timetable. So oh, okay. it's still silly. <laughs> they still should have known better, and we can still mock them, but it wasn't quite the catastrophe that we had uh, foolishly pirated. Okay. All right. Well, did, I I might have missed it. Did they did they put a pirated version back in or no? No, no, not pirated. They went. They basically put the version before Adobe added the self destruct. Okay. Okay. So, which is a sensible. Well, that no, was not a sensible thing to do. You're still running Flash, but <laughs> <laughs> leaving that right. aside as as a short term crisis fix for a problem you should have seen coming, it is a sensible thing to do. Uh, we also mentioned last time that uh, a security researcher was fascinated by Apple's very dramatic FaceTime bug that resulted in them taking the service offline. And she then went and investigated similar products and found similar bugs. And so we thought that was interesting. Uh, and then literally hours after we recorded last time, more news broke from the same security research. Uh, not only did they look at other people to see if they had the same bug Apple had... They also looked back to see how Apple had addressed the bug on Apple's end. And it turns out that Apple actually put a lot of work into making sure that never happened again. A lot of work. And they actually developed a whole new sandboxing approach. They re-architected the FaceTime app. So they, rather than having, if you have one sandbox for the whole app, then every permission the app needs has to be given to that one sandbox. So available to every process. To every part of the app. Every line of code in the app has all the permissions any line of code in the app needs. Okay. Now, some lines of code in the app are exposed to the internet, 
and are doing dangerous things like processing codecs, which are just, it's very easy to have some sort of problem in a codec. Like that is the reason Flash and PDFs are such a problem. You know, any sort of interpreter is so bug prone. And if you have a bug, you generally have arbitrary code execution. If you have arbitrary code execution and privileges, bad. Okay. So Apple split the app into pieces. So it has multiple sandboxes. Oh. And each piece of the app has exactly the permissions it needs and no more. And the bit where it does all the dangerous code has no permissions. It literally just takes in the raw data and spits out the transcoded data. And it doesn't have the ability to do anything outside the sandbox. Oh, okay. Okay. Now, when you you said other people, you mean other companies, similar tools to FaceTime? Correct. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we listed them last time. I don't I don't have them to hand here. Okay. Um so it's very interesting to see how Apple responded. So in the short term their response was good, take it down. And now that they've had a year or a little bit over a year to fix the problem for real, they they really engineered this and this same approach is probably going to be used by Apple in other dangerous things, in other high risk things. I would imagine Safari is going to find itself split into pieces. Next, I'd say like if I were an Apple engineer, that would be a really logical place to apply this technique. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, you know, any app that, that touches the internet and does data processing is at risk for these kinds of bugs. And so this, I just, I just thought it was really good engineering by Apple. And they also have a cool name for it. It's called Blastdoor. Which we never talked about good. Blastdoor. I could have we sworn did. we did. No, we talked about the other store. We may have mentioned that in passing, but we certainly didn't go into any sort of detail because. We didn't have... I searched the show notes for the word Blastdoor. It wasn't in there. Huh. I could have sworn we did. Yeah. In fact, so, I think somebody in our Slack, and I can't remember who Allison, it was, Allison, did you asked, record a Let's Talk Apple with me? Because we may have talked about it uh, there. That might have been. That might have been. The crossover shows. <laughs> yes. They, but somebody they in our Slack did ask, why hadn't we talked about Blastdoor? No, there we go then. So clearly, if someone in Slack says we didn't, we didn't. <laughs> exactly. Slack is never wrong. Mm. Anyway, no, our listeners are wrong. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I, I just thought it was fascinating what, what Blastdoor is, and I, I was well impressed. Uh, we also mentioned like last increased complexity of coding and of everything. Well, it doesn't actually, because it was Kevin you, Alder, by the way. Aha! If you think like now that you're a now that you're a developer too, right? What you're basically doing is you're saying like the app is broken into functions already, right? You're going to have a function whose job it is to translate this stuff. So you're not making it more complicated by just drawing boxes around your functions differently. So instead of having one box around all of your functions, you have separate boxes around separate functions. So you haven't made your code more complicated. What you've done is made your firewall more granular. Okay. And that doesn't cause a bad smell, as you've taught me, of replicated code or anything? No, 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 but you're not. There's no code in two places, right? All the code is in a sandbox you have all of your code. You have all of your functions. Right. You don't rewrite a single function. Okay. In, but at the moment, all of your functions are sitting in one giant big sandbox. Right. You take the same functions and you categorize them. And you say, you guys need these permissions. You guys need those permissions. You guys need the other permissions. And you take the same code and you just put it into the appropriate sandbox for what it needs. Okay. But so you don't have two copies. Have to, are code that has to be replicated. No. No, no, a sandbox is just a list of permissions, right? So you're saying we have oh, okay. a... okay, okay, okay. 
I thought it was like a bunch of code that I, I'm picturing building a box around this code and building another box around this code. It's just well, permissions. I mean, in if we're going to get really pernickety, it's it's a plist file. There's a plist file that says this sandbox has these permissions, and a plist file that says this sandbox has those permissions. And you're basically saying, I have function X. Does it go into sandbox one or sandbox two? Okay. So you're not making two function X's. You're just putting a lot of work into figuring out, well, where does X belong? Is X the kind of thing that needs to be in this very secure sandbox, or does it need to be the sandbox that has access to the camera? Because X's job is actually to be a function that uses the camera. Okay, okay. I'm glad I asked about it, because if it's just a plist, that makes more sense. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's just, I just really liked it. It was just good engineering. Good engineering is good. Uh, We also talked last time about the fact that as we recorded, Tim Cook had just given a speech to the CPDP21 conference in the EU, which is a data protection conference. And Tim's speech was part of a two-hour keynote. And Tim's speech was not two hours long. Tim's speech was like 12 minutes or something. And so we did have a link at the time to the full thing. And if you scrubbed your scrubber, you could get to the right place. Uh, But Apple have very kindly taken just Tim's bit and published it on their YouTube channel. So in show notes is linked to just Tim's bit. And I know we talk about a lot of things on, you know, you should go read this and you should go look at that. This one, man, you should really go watch it. It is it is inspirational. And it's also drops a lot of shade on uh, on Facebook in the in the mix, which is I don't know. I thought that was fun. Yeah, and it's it's deserved shade, which, yeah. which is the good kind. In our humble opinions, yes, right, exactly, yes. Um, we also have talked a lot about Apple's upcoming app tracking transparency feature. And there continues to be some news about that. Um, So to review real quick, this is the thing that uh, allows you to opt out of being tracked. Well, actually forces you to look at a screen and you can choose to opt out of things. Correct? Right. It forces you to decide. Yeah. Do I agree or not? To share Uh, with third parties. Yes, precisely. So basically it's allowing access to the ID for advertisers, the IDFA. Uh, a quick background note for you, Alison. There's three bullet points under this first story. Only one of them should be under. The other two should have been tabbed out. Okay. So, oops, I will fix it before people see it. Yes. So the first story in this section is Harvard Business Review decided to do a little bit of business reviewing of the numbers Facebook have been using in their anti-anti-tracking ads. And lo and behold, they're horse poop. <laughs> so Facebook's big argument against allowing people to know whether or not they're being tracked doesn't add up. Oh, Oh, will somebody think of the small businesses? Yeah, we are. And what you're saying isn't true. So there we go. Snapchat have have joined the long list of companies warning their investors in their various filings with the SEC that, uh, yeah, this whole asking for permission to track people might cost us some money. Twitter, on the other hand, had a more optimistic view and said that it would have a modest impact on their bottom line. Interesting. Interesting. Who owns Snapchat? Snapchat is independent, quite vociferously. Facebook wanted them, didn't get them, and then invented some sort of clone. Yeah. Uh, Our friends over at WhatsApp have started a second attempt at rolling out their controversial new privacy policy. The policy hasn't changed, but the PR has, and they're hoping it's better this time. So Good this enough. is this is specifically, I think, what a lot of people misunderstood. Uh, WhatsApp 
when they got purchased by Facebook, Facebook said, no, we're never going to touch WhatsApp. We're never going to intermingle anything in between the two. And then they announced that WhatsApp was going to be connecting data between Facebook and WhatsApp, which is exactly what they said they weren't going to do. But I think the subtlety that people have missed, whether this matters to you or not as a subject of another discussion, is it's only data about when you're talking to a business. So if you engage with Walmart's bot inside WhatsApp, that data is what's in this updated privacy policy. But if Allison talks to Chris Ashley inside WhatsApp, that is not being shared. Still yeah, something, it, but they did such a poor job of explaining it up front that it got, it was worse than it might have been. Yeah, but which of those two things is more likely to be more revealing about you? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. You haven't seen my conversations with Chris. I mean. <laughs> right, but remember, they're end-to-end -end encrypted, so the actual content of your conversations was never game here. The question is, which metadata is more valuable? Oh. Who you talk to who's not a business or who you talk to that is a business? Which of those two things tells you most about who you are as someone to target? Target for ads. Yeah. Okay. Let's, which let's builds the most <laughs> not profile? Not target, target. Right, but which builds the most profile about you? It's your interaction with corporations. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, you aren't going to find out much from the metadata of me talking to Chris. Correct. You won't so, know about I mean, the So, I mean, to me, it's like anything. Facebook have chosen to take the most valuable data and spun that as, look, look, we're being really nice about your privacy. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. Stop lying. No, Stop gaslighting me. <laughs> I know you're not. Just be honest. <laughs> uh, we are having intermittent Skype issues. Oh, you've caught up again. Um, okay. Anyway, so that's, uh, yeah, we are definitely having intermittent Wi-Fi issues. Um, for those of you listening along, I'm in my new house. I do not have Ethernet yet, so we are dependent on the um, foibles the wi of Wi-Fi. Yeah. It's actually not bad. Okay. Yeah, it's so far so good, touch wood. Uh, a small amount of update on the solar winds. Um, a listener, Linda, sent along a link to a story on msn.com. Um Apparently, once the bug in solar winds was known about, it was open season, um, and other governments were like, well, if there's a problem in solar winds, why don't we jump in too? So the Chinese government apparently also made use of the back door to break into a payroll agency that does work for the US government. Oh, yay. Yeah, like OPM didn't just give them everything, but yeah, apparently, apparently they want <laughs> an update a bit on left. that massive data dump from OPM. Yeah. Uh, something we haven't done in a while, COVID app news. There actually have been some developments. So as we move into a new phase of the pandemic, there's a new type of app that's going to become ever more important. These are sort of health pass apps. Israel is starting this now because they're quite well ahead of the vaccination. So it's effectively an app that has a you know, cryptographically testable way of showing a barcode that says, yes, this person has been vaccinated, or yes, this person has recovered from the disease and therefore probably isn't a carrier. Um, and so those kind of apps, Apple are calling health pass apps, and they are going to allow them on the store with the caveat that they must be launched in conjunction with a recognized and approved health authority. So third-party mm. developers can write them, but they need to have a government department or a university. That's collecting the data or managing the data or whatever? Well, basically vouching for them. So basically going oh, okay. co in conjunction with, right? So, so I the, can't just make my own little database. 
Correct. So okay. Bart's cool app in conjunction with the uh, wherever Anthony Fauci works, right? That that would right. be fine. But Bart's cool app, not fine. Okay. So uh, this very is such good. a such a slippery one, man. This is. I am a hundred percent in favor of. <clears throat> sorry, you can't get on a plane unless you can prove you've been vaccinated or you're immune now. You know, I, I want that 100%. And yet that's a terrible idea. <laughs> I mean, plane is probably a bad example. Cinema is an easier example. Why? Because cinema is purely a luxury. Oh, okay. Where plane might be necessary. Plane might be very darn necessary. You might be an engineer for some sort of machine that does something absolutely vital and you not getting on that plane could cost thousands of lives. <laughs> Okay, I was just thinking from a privacy standpoint of uh, tracking people and stuff. It's got it's got creepy written all over it, right? Uh, potentially, potentially that is that is also, certainly also part of it. Um, Israel are dealing with this now, and I, I was listening to an article, a story about it on BBC World News, and um, it was very interesting because their court have ruled that you can't make vaccines compulsory. So the government were like, fine, and any sort of stuff that's uh, that's recreational, that's basically optional. It's only for people who've bothered to take the voluntary vaccine that you're all entitled to for free. What about school? So, uh, I don't believe it was being used for schools, but basically what they're doing is they're starting to reopen cinemas and these kind of non-critical things to people who've been vaccinated. So they're using a carrot instead of a stick. Yeah, and it's sort of a sticky carrot, right? We can't <laughs> compel you to have the vaccine, but we certainly can say that if you don't, it has consequences. You can't have any so, fun. Yeah, so the way they said, if you choose to exercise your your civil right not to have the vaccine, we it will come at a consequence. And that's kind of how rights and responsibilities work, right? There are consequences. Your right to free speech does not mean that your right to no consequences. Your right not to be vaccinated does not mean you have a right to no consequences. But that, that problem does converge at what is school. School is compulsory. Right. So are you going to yes. infect my child because you didn't get your child vaccinated? Whose yeah. who's rights win? That, that's where it gets really tough. Absolutely, it's very messy because, I mean, this is an issue we've had with measles and stuff as well, because oh, there yeah. are kids who can't have the measles vaccine, so they're relying on herd immunity. And then you have hippies smoking the crack pipe who think that vaccines are evil, who don't get their kids vaccinated, and then you suddenly have outbreaks of measles in the middle of the first world. Right, right. And it's like, well, my kid can't be vaccinated because my kid has an actual medical reason, and you're, you're off at the fairies, and you've just put my child in horrible danger. You shouldn't be allowed into school, but I have a right to an education. And it's not the kid's fault the parents are Well, not are even me. a right. You, where we live, you have to go to school. D- it's compulsory. Yeah, it, <laughs> right. So, yeah, exactly. Oh, it gets so messy. But yeah, we, we have That's all that. But anyway, Apple have nipped in the bud the terrible, terrible concept of some sort of fake vaccine app in the App Store. Good. Before you they get there. Yeah. yeah so Actually, maybe they were the already bud. trying, but yeah. Yeah, so they've nipped that in the bud, which is good. That's, you know, smart thinking there, Apple. Meanwhile, the UK, who had a very rocky road getting to their COVID-19 app using the Google Apple API, they did eventually get there. And what's interesting is they now have some data on what there is like. And since they launched their app eventually in, I think it was September, it was certainly into the autumn before they they got the show on the road, they have issued 1.7 million instructions to people to isolate because wow. they were, yeah, which they estimate based on the reproduction number, et cetera, et cetera, is probably saved 600,000 infections. Let's see if the 1.7 million people did isolate, though, isn't it? 
I think I think the estimate is based on what percentage of people you know. So they if you're the kind of person who would install it. the app, you're probably the kind of person who's going to yeah. So I mean, the, the, there's a whole bunch of statistical statistician magic went on in here, but based on our best educated estimate, we're saying you know, on the order of hundreds of thousands of infections saved. Right, right. That's which awesome. I think is is fabulous. You know, California's also- going to get that going any minute now. We're going to get an app any any minute now, Bart. But you don't know, you, you, you do, you have it, you, you have it. We had a thing, but I don't think we ever got the actual app that would let us do contact tracing. No, you got it through the express method, which you don't need an app anymore. You, your government just has to enable it that the OS can do it. So you should have it, if you go into your settings, it should, you should be able to enable contact tracing. Yeah. Okay. Last time. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did get that. Okay. So it's just that we don't have an app where we can look at it. I'm just kind of jealous because I've seen what your uh what your app looks like you've sent me a screenshot with it's got so much great information about what the infection yes. rates are and what the chart looks like and it's like one shot situational awareness it's a that's a beautiful thing we don't have that yeah yeah the irish app there's a lot of good software engineering done in ireland and outsourced around the world and the irish app is superb i i i absolutely hand on heart it's amazing and i know exactly why the irish engineers were hired into i think it was six u.s states to do their app not California. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Utah, also a good news story. Utah was one of those states that decided they knew better than Apple and Google. And so they rolled their own app and it was terrible and it didn't work and it didn't actually achieve anything. They have seen the light and they have now followed California's lead and enabled the Apple Google API. By the way, I just noticed in, in ours in settings that it says availability alerts, which I had was switched off. It said receive a notification if exposure notifications are available in your current region. I wonder if I turned that off or it got turned off because I, it was available and I accepted it. So I think I, I might be OK. I am almost certain California is is using that API. They just don't have the standalone app. So they're, they're doing it the, okay. the easy way, the Good. least the least friction way, which is just you send Apple a config file so that Apple know where to send the data. Yeah, okay. Basically, API endpoints. Yeah. Um, we have a semi-deep dive, a medium dive, a little jump <laughs> off, a jump into the pool. Um, your, no- your nose is just barely above water dive? Yeah, sort of like that. So watch your head. Um, <laughs> don't pop it off the bottom of the pool. So... I'm, this section is entirely opinion, right? The, 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 this is not a, a typical deep, nerdy fact, deep dive. This is, this is an opinion piece by me. This is my opinion. You are free to disagree. I have had a bee in my bonnet for some time about the irresponsibility of the 2018... I can't believe it's been three years. Well, two and a bit years. But Bloomberg did a story called The Big Hack, where they alleged without any evidence that... Uh, Thousands and thousands of motherboards from a Chinese company had a tiny little chip embedded into it and they were running all the data centers in Apple and Google and Amazon and that they were all phoning home. And it was a oh, it got a lot of headlines. It's like, wow. But the fact that the cover of the article had an artist's impression was quite telling, because they actually hadn't found any of these chips that are supposed to be everywhere. And, no the, and they took that artist's impression from a talk that the, the researcher had done of what was possible to have happen. Correct. But implied through the way they did it that it had happened. Correct. And at the time, there was quite a bit of pushback. And the authors were like, no, 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 look, now that we've put the story out there, it's just a matter of time till all the evidence comes flowing in. Nope. And it didn't, right? It didn't. It hasn't. It still hasn't. 
So Bloomberg published a follow-up piece, which some people are describing as a justification of the original piece. The only problem is, that's not what the new article says. The the new article provides (laughs) zero evidence of the spectacular claims in the old article. Not a not a word, not a nothing. No evidence. Instead, it's a whole new story telling us what we knew already, that governments have been using malicious firmware against each other for years. That but the original article was about chips, right? That it was correct. physically had changed the chips. Correct. A, a total bait and switch here. Mm. So this new article is an interesting anecdote showing us an example of something we knew was happening, which is that, yes, governments are, governments are using their various mechanisms for injecting malicious firmware into devices being sent to foreign governments, and that malicious firmware is phoning home. We have pretty good evidence the US government managed to sneak some nasty stuff into Cisco routers being exported to China, and we have pretty good evidence that the Chinese government managed to sneak nasty firmware into stuff being shipped to American, usually companies working for the government as a contractor because that's a nice sort of backdoor into government stuff right get the contractor rather than the government and that's been directly. going on for more than a decade years yeah exactly yeah. so in 2018 that wouldn't have been news mm-hmm. it's certainly not news in 2021 and it certainly doesn't justify the article they published in 2018 for which they still haven't provided a shred of evidence and, and they, they never backed down on that right they have not backed down they have not retracted and they have not substantiated it anyway And to be honest, I think, I mean, John Gruber has had his bit between the teeth on this as well. And I just love his summary. It's a 4,000 word exercise in journalistic sophistry. It creates the illusion of something being there, but there is nothing there. The only good purpose this report could serve is as a source material for a class on critical thinking. By the way, I had to look up what sophistry means. It's the use of fallacious arguments, especially with the intention of deceiving. Basically, being fancy, to, being fancy for bad reasons is what it is. Like, it looks yeah. sophisticated, but it's actually garbage. So, yeah, sorry, I'm going to get off my, my, uh, my soapbox now. But that, that just really got um, to me. That. I'm glad you brought that up because I had seen the article being portrayed as though it was like, see, we told you. That's and what that they would like. All, yeah, they they got their they got that impression across. I know. It's but there's no there's still no there there. You've, you've had a second go and you've still anyway, anyway. Leaving it aside, I'm gonna stop being cranky. Uh moving on to action alerts. Um this is a three-week interval. So this is somewhat old news, and I rather hope it doesn't apply to anyone, but uh, Chrome Zero Day browser bug found patch now. Two weeks ago. Okay. So if you're the kind of person who leaves Chrome open and never restarts it, turn it off and turn it on again. Just just do that so you get the update. It's waiting for you. Um, it's also been Patch Tuesday. Um, not surprisingly, 56 bugs were squished in Windows. Of note is the fact that one of those squished bugs is a zero-day being actively exploited in the wild. So patchy, patchy, patch, patch on that one. Uh, in the time we were off, Apple had two bites of the, of the apple, if you'll excuse the uh, repetition there. <laughs> so, as we recorded last time, we had just learned about a nasty bug in sudo, and you and I had speculated whether or not that would affect the Mac. Uh, we didn't know one way or the other. Apple released a whole bunch of security updates on the, what is it, the 
1st of February, so literally just days after we recorded last time, and those bo- those fixes did not include anything to do with pseudo. They were not in the release notes. And then a week later, we got a second lot on the 9th of February, and they did indeed patch the bug. So it ha- Apple had been vulnerable and is now patched, assuming you have applied, uh, what is it, t- t- 11.2.1 or Catalina 10.15.7, or security update 2001-002 for Mojave. That one really bugged me because I uh, I did a clean install on my Mac, downloaded from the internet, got the OS, and that afternoon it said, well, you're out of date. Like, Wait a minute. I just got here. <laughs> <laughs> but it was for pseudo, so I'm glad about that. That's good. You're worth doing. Definitely worth yeah. doing. It seemed logical uh, that it would attack the Mac as well, so I'm glad. It they, did. They it, it seemed very likely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, GNU PG, if you're a user of that crypto library, you definitely want to patch it ASAP because the version before the patch had a teensy weensy bug and the whole decryption thing, which is slightly important for, um, you know, a crypto library. And Telegram patched a bug on the Mac app that stopped their self-destructing messages actually self-destructing. So yeah, that I was never a little bit of a, of a black eye there. I like the way you, you staged it, but another way to say it was, hey, you, you have this ability to have self-destructing messages, the whole purpose of which is to not have them be able to be saved. And they were able to be, when you were deleting them, they weren't really getting deleted, which is like the worst thing on earth, right? Don't it make is. me think it's deleted. So far, not a single app that promises to have stuff magically self-destruct has been 100% successful at filling in on that promise. I would never rely on that promise. That was true from the very first moment Snapchat did it to to now to today yeah yeah it's nice if it works it's nice but i'm never going to assume it does i'm never going to send something on the assumption that it has genuinely gone because that that's not how digital information works it's easy to yeah, create I don't, I don't know what you do it's instead, also easy to though. lose by accident right but i don't know what you do instead do it over voice where someone could be recording you in which case it's it still exists you know i generally avoid sending stuff i don't want out there just, right, but I mean, yeah. if you're if you're a reporter talking to a dissident or whatever, you gotta have you gotta have something. You gotta use signal, or you gotta do your best, right? You gotta. You're not gonna rely on. Well, a but signal probably isn't perfect either. In the same category, no, but at least right? it's open source and very heavily vetted, so your chances are better than in in a closed source app whose main function in life is just to be a fun place to hang out, whereas Signal's main p- purpose in life is to be good crypto. So you know, yeah. Yeah. no tool is perfect, but pick the tool most likely to be closest. Right. Uh, worthy warnings. Hang I am on, sorry. Bart, I'm going to do oh. the meanest thing to you, and I'm Uh-oh. guessing your first word's going to be "oh sugar." Um, we ha- we had talked about a story Steve posted to our Slack from Ars Technica by Dan Gooden about malware affecting thirty thousand M1 Macs. You did, and I I knew say, it was... say "oh sugar." <laughs> oh poop. Um, no, I knew I knew there was something I was forgetting, and I always flag those in yellow in my mail client. And I was like, Allison sent me something I wasn't to forget. So I searched my yellow flag, and there was nothing there since September. And I was like, well, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, so this one, this one, uh, I'm, I'm putting it in our uh, Skype chat just so you can look at it. Uh, I'll read the, the highlights. Uh, I sent it to Bart saying, this has to be wrong, right? And he said, no, I'm afraid Dan, Dan Gooden is, is pretty credible. Um, Malware was found on 30,000 M1 Macs, and this is as of uh, the 20th, so that's uh, one day ago. It was updated, I guess. Um, 
I th- was hoping it was fake because all sources went back to a company called Red Canary and the name of the malware is Silver Sparrow. So I thought if they're all going back to the same company that I'd never heard of, maybe this wasn't true. Um, but I haven't seen anything that says that it isn't. Did, so at the moment, it's basically a botnet and waiting. Right. It, they're because, sitting there waiting for command and control instructions. Yeah, so the infected machine has done nothing to damage anyone or anything, and then once an hour it's just reaching out going, anything for me to do yet? Oh, okay, I'll continue to be idle. It's been found in 153 countries with detections concentrated in the US, UK, Canada, France, and Germany. It uses Amazon Web Services and Akamai. So, Yeah. It's considered a reasonably serious threat, but I don't know what's happened to it since uh, Steve uh, Steve posted it. Yeah, he posted it yesterday. Yeah, so there, I would, that, that fits the category of really mean to tell you about because I don't think there's anything you can do. I didn't see I would anything imagine, about how you could find it. Well, my, my, my guess would be that within, within days of this recording, Apple's X-Protect will just detect it and remove it. Okay. I didn't see anything in here that could tell me how we could check our own M1 Max to see if we were part of it. Yeah, neither do I. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we I, I would imagine secure- Apple will be on this now that it's known. Security Bits was originally named Security Light, and the idea was we would never tell you about stuff you couldn't do anything about, but I'm afraid we've... <laughs> it's Yes, you could do something about it. Wait and hope they fix it, right? Right, when you're popping this into the show notes, Alison, if you scroll down to the little table, one of the icons we can use is a pin. This is a put a pin in it story. There is a shoe hanging just above us here. Okay. And the next and time we record, I imagine it will have dropped. Okie dokie. This is definitely right. one of those, there's more to come here. I don't know what it'll be and whether it'll be happy news or sad news, but there is, there is a part two to this. There is yeah. definitely a part two to this. Because I have many questions. How did it get onto 30,000 Max being very high on the list? Shortly right. followed by who? Is this some sort of government actor? Is this a, a very impressive cybercrime outfit? Is this just an experiment gone wrong? Because it doesn't do anything. So is this just something that got loose from a lab somewhere? Who? Yet. Why? How? What's Apple going to do about it? There are four questions that immediately leap to mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I would think so. Um, I didn't like it. But yeah, like I said, if, if, I was hoping it it wasn't true because I didn't find it on Krebs on security. I didn't find it on uh, Sophos or uh, all the sources you always link to. I couldn't mm-hmm. find it. And where I did find it, it was always looking back at uh, Red Canary. And I'd never yeah, heard I of mean, Red Canary. It's so. possible Dan Gooden is wrong. Yeah, it's always possible Dan Gooden is wrong, but so far he has earned my respect and it would be a first. Yeah, Uh, he's not the only one reporting it, but every report points back to the same source. And whenever that's it, you're sort of like, "Eh, you kind of want to see that vetted by somebody else, right? Or by someone I trust. Yeah, those kind of things. If if, if it's reported by people who just copy, paste, copy, paste, I don't pay any heed to it. But if it's reported by someone with a history of actually doing a little bit of legwork, I tend to give it more credence. And I would put Dan Gooden into the legwork category. Okay, good. Well, <laughs> so good luck. Yes, as I say, I'm darn sure we're going to hear more about this. But for now, there, there's a thing. 
it sounds bad. <laughs> Good luck. Okay. Uh, worthy warnings then, since we're on the scary part of the show anyway. Um, one of the sad things that has happened during this pandemic, among many, is that romance scams are now at an all-time high. So Naked Security have dedicated a fairly lengthy blog post to explaining what they are and how the hell you avoid getting caught up in them. So I would definitely recommend that if this is the, you know, if you're it, trying to have some sort of a normal love life in the middle of this mess, have a read, protect yourself <laughs> as best we can. You know, forewarned is forearmed, etc. And uh, bon chance. Meanwhile, if you live in the US state of Washington, uh, 1.6 million of you have had a whole bunch of your data breached. Details in link in show notes. Notable news. Europol took a nice big swipe at one of the world's most dangerous malware outfits. So that was genuinely pleasing to see Europol take on Emotet, which is a nasty banking trojan. So that's that was good. Uh, Apple have launched iCloud passwords as a Chrome extension on Windows. So I heard about that. That's pretty cool. That is darn cool, and I really hope that means that it's coming to Edge as well. And if they do a Firefox one to follow through with, that will be fantastic because then Windows users can use iCloud Keychain as a useful free password manager for their entire life, not just for their phone. Yeah, and that comes at good timing with uh, LastPass getting rid of the uh, a lot of the flexibility of the free option. This might be something for people who can't afford the... Um, the three bucks a month. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, you're, you're absolutely, I wasn't sure whether to put the last pass story in the show notes, and I eventually decided it wasn't worthy of being notable news. But I'm glad you found a way to bring it in, because you're absolutely right. That is a, that is a very big change that that free tier has become basically useless. Well, not completely useless, but... Yeah, yeah. completely useless, but <laughs> yeah. quite a dent in its usefulness. Substantially. Right. Anyway, um... This The next story has been portrayed as a bad news story, and I am perplexed as to why anyone would see this as anything but a good news story. So a white hat security researcher made use of a whole bunch of major companies' bug bounty programs to legally figure out, detail, and prove a hypothetical new attack and responsibly disclose it in such a way that they are now proactively working to protect themselves against this new threat. The threat was always there. How is this a bad news story that has been reported in such a responsible way? <laughs> so anyway, that's a, I'll describe what it is now because it's also darn cool. Um, but it's just the headlines of this thing were, were just all over the place, and I'm sitting there going, "This is a good news story. Why are we Why are we telegraphing this as a terrible disaster, a calamity, yada yada yada?" This is fantastic. Anyway, something we haven't yet dug into on programming by stealth, we've adjacently. We know that there are lots of open source packages, right? We know that we don't write from scratch our data handling code. We use Moment.js. And we know that we don't write from scratch all of our CSS. We use Bootstrap. But we haven't, we've done so in a very manual fashion. We have manually put the CDN links into the top of our HTML files. In the real world, that's not how it's done. In the real world, you use a package manager to automatically fetch your dependencies from GitHub and bring them into your project to build out your project. Okay. So that means that you have some sort of package manager which has a config file that lists all the dependencies that your current project depends on. And you just say, you know, npm run build or something like that, and npm will go and fetch all of your dependencies. 
So if you're a large company like Apple or Microsoft that has a sort of a mix of proprietary and open code, your build file probably lists both private repositories and public repositories like jQuery and stuff like that. Okay. The security researcher asked himself the question, what happens if I make an open source public repository project with the same name as one of these private ones I can see listed in the manifests for these products from Apple, Microsoft, PayPal, Spotify, etc.? And the answer is, the open source, the public ones, win over the private ones when the build tool runs. Oh, no. Yeah. So all of a sudden, everyone's now going, I need to reevaluate my build process to make sure that the priority of the repositories is such that our private repository will win the race, never the public. So That people, affects so, pretty much everybody then. It does. And <laughs> it's kind of in hind- It's one of those things where in hindsight you go, why did we never think about this? Why did we never think about which of these two possible sources of information gets priority over the other? Clearly, the private one should always win the argument and never the if public one. If you mean one. the private one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's simply by naming it the same? Yes. It's all you have and to do. Oh, wow. It's all you had to do. So now all of these companies know they have to check their build process. So that takes care of that. And I just think it's fantastic. So this is, I mean, in hindsight, duh, of course, but no one had no one had thought of it before. And now we know to be on guard for this attack. So this, to me, it's just a pure good news story. And it's cool. And they got bug bounty programs. They got bug bounty money from everybody. Yeah, 35 companies bug bounty programs. That's 35 payouts. Wow. They may vary that's in size, cool. but that's 35 times at least a grand, I would imagine. So that's, you know, not a bad day's work. Yikes. Ooh, the next one I get to read, right? You do. You sent along the next one, and I think your comment to me was, ick, and I'm like, yep. <laughs> so uh, according to, um, uh, let's see, who is it from Gadget? Ford vehicles will run on Android Auto starting in 2023. Now, before you get worried, you can still have uh, Apple or uh, what is it called CarPlay in a, in a Ford car. That's not what they're talking about. But they're working with Google Cloud to gather data and use that data. This is a quote from the article. Google Cloud CEO Thomas Kurian made two quotes in here that just gave me the heebie-jeebies. The first one was, we're also working together to create new business models for data, real-time notices to consumers, on maintenance requests, or trading alerts. That, okay. I read through that and I was like, business models based on data that you're sucking out of my car as I drive around. Right. No, heck no, a thousand times nah. And lest you think we're just, you know, jumping to conclusions, the second great quote in here was, once you have a platform that lets you get data and analyze it, he continues, there's lots of very simple but transformative experiences that you can offer drivers. For example, assisting them when they need to schedule a service appointment with the dealer or helping them shop for cars better by personalizing the shopping experience. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, yeah. just... <laughs> it's like, up on the, for another three weeks, I am a Ford driver, and then I will not be a Ford driver anymore because there is a new car with my name on it on a boat that is getting closer to Ireland. And, and I a, am delighted. That what I'm model not is going, it, Bart? It might be a Tesla Model 3. It's not Hot red, though. Not, 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 a, not a red one like someone I know went for. But a, <laughs> nice, a nice blue one. Gorgeous. Actually, blue is gorgeous your color. Blue. Yeah, yeah. I, I love blue. 
Um, yeah, so I'm really quite happy to be getting off the Ford train because this yeah, this does is... not make me happy at all, at all, at all. What a yeah. tone-deaf, terrible you know, thing to say out loud. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're they're leaning right into it, going, look at all the data we'll be able to collect and then we'll be able to offer you stuff. <laughs> I know. Yeah, not, have you realised it's 2021 and this is not a good thing? Anyway. Yeah. Okay, moving um, on. Moving on, Apple have updated their human-friendly page that explains their security and privacy. So it's called Apple Platform Security, and the link is in the show notes. It's a very human-friendly page. Um, In related news, they've also added a new easy portal for removing activation lock from your devices, which is very useful if you want to sell them. That used to be a pain in the backside. That's now easier. And that's actually good, because I think that's one of the reasons I had trouble with my clean install. I'm not 100% certain, but I think it was part of the problem. Could well be. Could very well be. Uh, And then in related news, uh, I thought a good analysis. So the Apple page is just nice and it's human friendly and it's it's good to read. But I thought Rich Mogul's analysis of what the page tells us about Apple's thinking over on Tidbits was very interesting. Uh, His take is basically that the Apple platform security guide reveals a focus on vertical integration. To get good security, you need that security from the silicon all the way through to the app, going through the OS as well and into the cloud services. And Apple can give you that because Apple do everything from soup to nuts. Yeah, yeah. So that that was an interesting analysis. Uh, Also in the good news category, I know they personally give me the heebie-jeebies and they're not coming into my house, but Ring are very popular and... I want to like them. I just don't trust them. Um, anyway, that's beside the point. There are a lot of people using them, so it is definitely good news that they are now end. They are now offering end-to-end encryption for their cameras. So that is that is a good thing. Oh, very cool. Uh, another story. I could have sworn we. Oh, had let talked me add about. one other thing. They forced uh, two-factor authentication on us. Also good. Well done. Yeah, it's broken all kinds of stuff for me as a result, but. Oh. <clears throat> Still well done, I'm sorry, Alison. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I can't have them in HomeKit anymore because it broke that. I, it, it is possible to get them into HomeKit by reports of other humans, but that human does, list does not include Alison. So we'll see. I'll take okay, another that, run at it again. But I was going to say that that's not... You can have two-factor auth and have HomeKit. They obviously well, have made a boo-boo. HomeKit through HomeBridge through Hoobs in a Docker container on a Synology. So, <laughs> yeah, but the, sorry, the APIs allow that kind of thing. Anyway, yeah, it should be able to work. I will. I will work. attack it one other time. I think I'll, I'll make a uh, um, uh, Mike uh, figure it out for me. Grumpy and just follow along. He's yeah. copy his learnings. Yes, Mike Price. <laughs> okay. Um, I I think this story must have broke very shortly after we recorded last time. Because this happened just after the Super Bowl and we recorded the day before the Super Bowl last time. So obviously this happened just, we just missed this one. But there's a water treatment facility in a town called Oldsmar in Florida, which had a very high profile and very scary security incident where someone attacked the control plant for the water treatment and took the dial for lye, which is a nasty, nasty chemical, and turned it up to 11, for Mm -hmm. want of a better description. Now, what's kind of noteworthy, which kind of scared me even more, is that uh, Brian Krebs' take was, this happens all the time. It's just that this county chose to be open and transparent about it, and so we know about it. Oh, 
Oh, that's an interesting take on it. Yeah. So it's like, oh, God, I didn't think I could be more scared. Thank you, Brian. Well done. Yeah. Well, b- part of this was that it it's a uh, it's like a small localized company taking care of it. And, uh, you know, as annoying as big government is, if you've got people who do security for a living, maybe you wouldn't have done the things that they did. Like they they had uh, was it Team Viewer? They had Team Viewer installed and all their machines had stopped the same using password. it, but they kept it on there and they shared a password. So anybody who'd ever worked there still Could had the password did. to come in and remotely control the computer. The only thing that was really lucky here was the person whose computer got taken over happened to be looking at it when it was going on. They saw the mouse moving and the changes happening. That's why well, they they saw it. That is why they saw it, but it's there was another safeguard in place which hasn't got quite as much uh, media coverage. But the dial on the screen would went to 11, effectively. It didn't go to 11. They basically put 10 times as much lie in. But the actual physical hardware valve would never have obeyed that order. Because oh, the hardware valve is rate limited to realistic levels of lie. And 10x normal is not a realistic level of lie. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, so and that that's not unusual for SCADA systems. The GUI can let you request something, which the hardware then goes, no, <laughs> no, 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 a thousand times no. Um, but the, 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 a side effect of having lots and lots of small local things without a central resource for security is that it's Bob's job to do desktop support and security and, 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 and. Mm-hmm. And it can never be secure. It just can't. And you have, in this case, it wasn't a sophisticated attack because a truly sophisticated attack would take the form of um, the one America and Israel sent at the centrifuges in Iran, where that was, a, that was also a SCADA attack. But what they did was they made the dials lie. So the right. dial said, your centrifuge is slowing down. So the operators turned it up, but in reality, the centrifuge was already above maximum and they turned it up even more and the centrifuges exploded themselves with centrifugal force. That's a really scary attack. You know, just taking over someone's screen over shared passwords on TeamViewer, that, that's so the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Well, yeah. we still haven't heard that I've... I was expecting by now for someone to have been indicted and for us to know who and why. Is it disgruntled former employee? Is it terrorism? But I haven't heard that break as a story, and I think that's because it hasn't broke as a story. Yeah. Huh. So I'm definitely, I definitely think we need to keep an eye on the, the why of this, because that will be revealing too. And then just finally in notable news, again, this was reported as some sort of bad thing, and I'm, you know, it's like Apple lost a court case. It's like, that's not what happened. So Apple basically said, we can't just hand over data willy-nilly. We really do need some sort of court document ordering us to do, and then we'll happily give you the data in your dead son's iCloud account. And an Italian court went, yep, sounds good to us. We will issue such an order. And Apple went, there you go, here's your data. Good. That's oh, a precedent. so they just needed an order on it. it but it yeah. didn't change what their, their policy was. Right. I mean, their policy is we will hand it over in line with the court. And... That's the right policy. Apple shouldn't be deciding willy-nilly whose privacy matters. Oh, okay. You follow the law. And so this court case has now set a precedent in Italy. It's a good precedent. And Apple immediately were like, great, yeah, that's fine. You, Mr. Judge, have told us what to do. We, Apple, shall do what we're told. 
It would be interesting to know, so the parents of a young man that was killed in a traffic accident, they wanted the recoverable data from his iCloud account. It'd be interesting what argument they made that convinced the court to issue the order. I don't read enough Italian to give any more yeah. detail than the short summary I got on iMore. Yeah. But it would just would be interesting. What what does make that threshold? We want it? Okay. Or, yeah, you know, I mean, if it was physical stuff. The only pictures we have, or... But if you think about it, in terms of physical stuff, it would just be part of the standard, you know, whatever way the inheritance was, if if the guy had left everything in his will to his parents, then everything physical would have gone. And so surely the argument could simply be, well, the digital stuff should go the same way as the physical stuff. If the person bequeaths it, it's bequeathed. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's, it's something we're tackling in the modern world. And it just reminded me of all the, all the hassle that you helped uh, Tim for Porton's widow through. Right, right. Because it, 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 it is a thing we need to think about in this day and age. Uh, top tips. The first top, the only top tip I have in here is topic adjacent. But it's not really security. And yet our listeners are exactly the right audience for this. 10 steps to improve your computer ergonomics. So much more important when it's your desk in your house that you're sitting at most of your day. Because oh, it hasn't been engineered like by an ergonomicist. Hmm? Is, I would like to look at that. It it does do all the whole screen adjusty things and all of those. It has some sensible tips in it too. It's and know. if Apple would just make their monitors so that they could go down to where they could be ergonomic, that would be awesome. Yes, dearest Apple, you have had an iMac for a very very long time since the days when it was was it the G four was on the arm that moved up and down and side to side. Yeah, that one was great. Yeah, ever since then. For I have owned many, many iMacs since then. None of them go up and down without the application of a book. That is my height control mechanism. Well, Books yeah, go but underneath the stand. you want them to go up. There's no way to make them go down to an ergonomic height for an average height woman. That, and that is becoming like, in the days of the 21-inch iMac, that was less of a problem. But in the days of the giganto big screen you have now, that is, that, I mean, the only thing you could do is raise your desk and put a platform under your feet. No, raising the desk doesn't help. That makes it taller. Sorry, not the desk. You'd need to raise your chair, but then your legs would be wrong, so you need a footstool. And I am sitting in a big and tall chair that is from a big and tall store made for people who are over six feet tall to get my my height as high as it is. And if it's any taller, my legs don't fit under the desk. Can't That's what I'm saying. The so you then have to have a footstool to make up for the fact that the monitor doesn't go up and down. Just make the monitor go up and down. I, I just need to stand up. If I stand up, it's oh, the perfect height. <laughs> a standing desk. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, one could argue it's a slight first world problem that your gigantic big, what is it, 8K or yeah. God knows how many K <laughs> screen. Yeah, I'll take it off your hands, right? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll save you from that problem. Send them I my wonder way. whether their answer, if I talk to them, would be get a visa mount. Or buy, buy that giant big many, many thousand dollars. No, you probably have that stand that everyone joked about being so expensive. It's on that stand. That's the one that doesn't lower it. It doesn't lower it below. It's, it stops four and a half inches above the top of my eye line. So it does go up and down, but not up. Oh, yeah. Not down so enough. when it goes up all the way, it's the perfect height for me standing. When it goes down <laughs> all the way, it's four and a half inches above my eyes sitting. That's a substantial shortcoming. Have you gone to apple.com forward slash feedback? Uh, I've actually been toying with the idea of writing to my friend Tim and saying, hey, did you by any chance test this on average height women? Genuinely, we are, honestly, do. We are, we are shorter from the, from the seat up than men on average. Yeah. 
Uh, if you're Japanese, you're in even worse shape because they're about another two inches shorter than American women. So who does this work for? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think you should fa- pass that feedback along by either or both of those mechanisms. Yeah. Definitely. Interesting. Moving on to excellent explainers. Um, the BBC have a very good piece describing in great detail how spying pixels and email work. This is oh. not news. We've been talking about this since... Yeah. Perhaps before we even called this section security bits. I know I've been talking about to you about this for years and years and years and years and years. But we've kind of forgotten about it with the whole Facebook and all the other privacy invading stuff going on. So it's a well-written article from the BBC that outlines what it is, how it works, and what you, you know what it's like in the modern world. So I thought it was a good explanation of what's going on. So I popped the link in the show notes. And then I have a bookmark I would like you to make and hope to goodness you never need it or you never need to share it with friends or family. A naked security article, fallen victim to online fraud, question mark, here's what to do, and a list of very sensible steps to take to try recover as best you can. So I, I have a bookmark folder in, in Pocket called Just In Case, and these are exactly the kind of links that go into Just In Case, and so oh, far, okay. knock on all the wood, I haven't needed to use the Just In Case folder in anger, but it's there, and it has things like this in it. In case of emergency, break glass. Yeah. Ice, as, as we used to call it in work. We had, a, we had a physical folder with the root password in it in the olden days, and it was called Ice. Interesting insights. So, again, th- th- these are more analytical stories for reading so or listening to. Uh, the first one is a very interesting proof of concept has been released uh, by a, new, a security researcher, it is now real in the sense that the researcher made it work to prove his point. Um, but the good news is he he is working with the browser developers to nip it in the bud. So again, it's a story that ends well. The details are in the Vice article. But basically, those cute little icons in the tabs of your browser window are called favicons. And they're published by websites. And the browser obeys them and displays them. And the browser manufacturers have always assumed that those would just be plain old images. But the security researcher wondered if all the same techniques you use to track people using other sorts of uh, images, maybe they might still work on these favicons. Maybe the browser will cache those in such a way that they can use them as a permanent unremovable super cookie. Mm. Turns out that's exactly what happens at the moment because no one thought that anyone would use malicious images as trackers. Well, someone's thought of it now, so the browsers are going to have to start treating them in the same way they treat other web content as suspicious, and it, it should be easy for them to re-architect their caching so that it doesn't become trackable. This shouldn't be a major calamity. The good news is a good guy found it, reported it responsibly, and is working with the browser vendors. So again, I've seen this reported as a calamity, and I'm thinking, nope. This is how it's supposed to go. This is this mm. is good. This is how it should be. Meanwhile, the excellent Rico Daily podcast has an episode I thought was worthy of highlighting. Since Clubhouse is now the uh, social network du jour that everyone wants to be on because it's invite only and therefore we want it. Um, a good question is, how private is Clubhouse? The answer is nope. Mm. But anyway, more details in the episode. The great thing about Rico Daily is they're short so you get basically a bite-sized piece of great information every day. I love Rico Daily. Allison, you then shared the next uh, interesting insight. We're not going to do this next one, because by this okay. time in the show, people will have heard the story straight from uh, one of our listeners. 
Oh, that's from... so much better than we could do. Brilliant. Yes, so skip on. Skip on. The next one is from listener George, I think. If this isn't from George, sorry, George, I, for crediting you with something you didn't do, and even more sorry for whoever did send it to me who isn't George. Anyway, it's a New York Times article. They stormed the Capitol. Their apps tracked them. There's nothing new in there. It's not like a revelation. What it is, is a very good sort of putting into context about what the things we have been talking about on this segment for years, what it means in the real world. We know that there's all of these things phoning home all the time, but what does that actually mean? Well, here's a case study of what that actually means. And so I thought it was a fascinating article and I thought it was worth sharing with the listeners. So link in show notes. If all and the photographs and time... And, uh, if all the photographs they took of themselves there and posted online didn't do enough to track them. <laughs> I mean, that is a big part of this tracking, right? It's self-inflicted because people don't pay attention and they couldn't happen yeah. the nicer people. This is sort of my approach exactly. to these things. Like oh, cyber, cyber Darwinism is the term I coined for this kind of silliness. Um, and then last time we talked about quantum computing and just like days afterwards, my podcatcher caught a TED Talks Daily episode the promise of quantum computers that basically explains why quantum computers are like so different to computer computers. It's not just they're faster, they're different. Ooh, and that, that difference opens up possibilities. Exactly. And the great thing again with TED Talks Daily is they're TED Talks, so they're short. Yeah, this so, is only four in 14 minutes. I'm going to know everything about quantum computing. Awesome. Yeah. No, you're going to know why you want to know more. <laughs> but yeah, you're going to know all the cool stuff. So yeah. So anyway, that's, uh, that rounds us out apart from our palate cleansers, and they're nerdily wonderful, I think. Okay. So first off, basically, all three of today's palate cleansers are an ode to science and engineering. STEM for the win. STEM for the benefit of humanity. STEM for inspiration. STEM for our health. STEM, STEM, STEM rocks. We, <laughs> you and me, we both love STEM. This is an ode to STEM. So first on the list is our good friends at XKCD who managed to use the Death Star to explain how an mRNA vaccine works. I will not spoil it. Have a read. It's brilliant. Oh, it sounds great. So it's, it's just super. And then meanwhile, you guys in America have been reminding the world that whatever else is going on, you guys are amazing engineers. And you have Thank an you. institution... You have an institution that has decades of history of amazing engineering called NASA, and you ain't lost your mojo one bit. <laughs> you just managed to land a car-sized rover on the planet Mars using a self-driving sky crane. <laughs> sky crane! I just love I mean, sky that. cranes were cool, and you did that in 2012, and that's old hat. So you decided to make it an AI using sky crane that read the terrain that you knew was risky. You wanted to land somewhere cool, but cool places are dangerous to land in. So you added image sensors and AI so the thing could decide for itself where to land on its way down. Like, as it's descending, it's going, I have to land sometime in the next seven minutes, and I don't know where yet. Let's figure it out as we go. And it did. That was that was astonishing. That was it's so just cool. amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. I think there was math involved. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I have two links to two astronomy pictures of the day. I love APOD anyway. The first one is a photograph taken by the sky crane of this car-sized rover dangling off the cables above the surface of Mars. 
It's a photograph, <laughs> not an artist's impression. There's a photograph of an actual thing built by human beings in the United States of America hanging off a spacecraft falling from the sky on another planet. <laughs> so cool. And then just in case I haven't excited you enough about this whole seven minutes of terror manoeuvre, basically, how do we go from going at hundreds and hundreds of miles, thousands and thousands of miles an hour at the top of the atmosphere to a gentle feather-like touchdown at the bottom of the atmosphere? The answer is seven minutes of amazing engineering, or seven minutes of terror for the engineers, because Mars is 14 light minutes away. So... It, it takes twice as long for the signal to get to Earth to say I've started my descent as the entire descent takes. So at the moment in time NASA goes, ooh, it's touched the atmosphere. In reality, on Mars, there's either a smoking crater or a safe and happy spacecraft. And we won't know for another seven more minutes. I cannot even imagine. What I loved about the coverage of this was uh, the the Indian woman that was giving the play-by-play, the NASA engineer, she's giving the play-by-play, but you could hear a guy in the background going, ah, 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 like this. I mean, he's just, he's freaking out. And you could see, uh, they'd zoom, every once in a while you'd see him in the foreground and you could see like his leg bouncing. It's like, oh my God. Oh my God They're all watching the telemetry, right? Oh, we've passed another phase. Okay, great. We've, you know, we, because the first off, the thing uses a heat shield. So that means the thing is getting like as hot as plasma. And then it has to jettison the heat shield and expose the radar array that's going to actually scan the terrain. And if that doesn't come away, then they don't know where to land. So that's catastrophic. And then when they figure out where to land, they do some lateral maneuvering. So they're falling through the atmosphere and now they're going side to side as well to where they want to be. And then they're using retro rockets to slow down. And then rather than using retro rockets all the way down, because the dust they'd blow up would basically destroy the spacecraft, they use retro rockets and then hover above Mars and then lower it down on a little winch. And then pyrotechnically disconnect the car weight thing and then intentionally fly the crane off and crash. (laughs) It's it's crazy. The only reason I'm even more excited is because on January 11th, listener Michael Johnston took Steve and I on a tour of JPL where we got to see Perseverance in person. So we Isn't were looking amazing? at, the, at the, the, the rover that is now on Mars. It was Not a model of it. Months. No, it was Not the Not a model actual, of it. Yeah, the one the that's The photons, the <laughs> photons that hit your eyeball hit off a thing that is now on Mars. It's maybe on if, Mars. Maybe if it's not too uh, too self serving, I might sneak put that photo in the show notes. Oh, by all means, do I, I? I love it. I also think it looks like some sort of mad Lego kit. It's like something about the shape of it reminds me of all those self driving cars we're seeing. Only it's like a kid's version of it with too big of a Lego set. It's cool. Yeah, but it's huge. I have the the model of Sojourner, and a Sojourner was like a little bitty toy car, and this is this yeah. is huge. This is like like truck size almost it's it's big but it yeah, was I mean, uh, like sojourner was our first sort of attempt at a, a, a very successful rover and it was you know a remote control car maybe a little bigger and then we got the golf cart size with opportunity and spirit and those guys and now we really are up to like an suv yeah like you know a good big american suv or pickup truck not a, not a dinky european car a big american truck I really yeah. liked that uh, there were two other countries who uh, got to Mars, too, right? Yes, the UAE. Yeah, the UAE. That was the first time they had gone to another planet, right? It was. And what I love was that the the, 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 the head of the agency who's been doing all the PR was a female Muslim scientist. 
gotta love it. From gotta an Arab country. It. Isn't that nice? Isn't that yeah. just a nice thing to hear about? And she yeah. was amazing. I've heard her interviewed on loads of podcasts now. And she was so excited, as I would be. Um, and her passion was just wonderful to hear. And she was very, very capable science communicator. Like, really good at her job. It was Yeah, I like, I like the diversity we're allowed to celebrate, finally. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And exactly. You know, she didn't get the job because, no, no, she's really good at her job and happens to be a female Muslim woman. It's wonderful. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. The reason this is all happening at once is, of course, because of orbital mechanics. Um, we're, We're on the inside lane moving faster than Mars. So most of the time, Mars is on the opposite side of the sun to us. And so it would be a very, 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 very long way to send a spacecraft. But every now and then, things line up in such a way that we basically shoot the thing off and Mars catches up with it. The thing only has to go for like six months instead of like, you know, years and years. And so that's why they're all happening at once. And then in a few years from now, it'll happen again. And they'll all go at once again. Right. So anyway, yeah, so there we go. That's your palette, I hope, well and truly cleansed. Oh, wait, uh, no, we have one more. I oh, was yes, adding one Sorry. more. Sorry. <clears throat> Northrop Grumman has named a spaceship after Katherine Johnson, the black NASA mathematician whose handwritten calculations helped launch the first Americans into space. I yeah. think that's cool. She, that uh, you fantastic. might remember her as she was highlighted in the movie Hidden Figures. She was. And I mean, I love that movie. That, that movie was very eye-opening for me. And she was my favorite character in that movie. And I have since learned a lot more about her, like, not from the movie, but from actual real life. And she continues to be someone I, I think is just amazing. Yeah, she like, just yeah, passed as away As cool as Grace year. Hopper. I, yes, she did. But she didn't get a Congressional Medal with Freedom. She got some sort of really nice award and she lived long enough to actually get it. I, I remember being happy that she got the recognition she deserved within her lifetime. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um... Yeah, I mean, to me, she's another Grace Hopper. Like, she, she's just this amazing person from STEM who's just, for too long, was written out of history and has now been restored to her rightful place. And to name an astronomical body after her, that's perfect. That's brilliant. Wait, no, not an astronomical body. Sorry, a spacecraft. spacecraft. Yeah. yeah. That's even better. Yeah. She was an engineer. Exactly. So cool. So it, it really made me smile when you, when you asked if you could drop that into the palate cleanser. It's like, yep, 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 yep. Good stuff, good stuff. Okay, so there we go. I hope that's cheered you up no end after all that depressing security news. Yeah, that got me excited at the end there. That was fantastic. Well, it certainly was a good time, Bart. I'm glad we got a chance to get together and we'll do it again soon. Yeah, I I, I presume we're back to a more normal schedule now that I have succeeded in moving house. Well, okay, I've succeeded in moving out. There's still a lot of boxes in this place, and it's well. You're technically in. (laughs) Yeah, we're in, but we're somewhere between camping and living. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think you run asymptotic to finishing that project, especially in the middle of a level five lockdown, where most of the furniture you've ordered isn't on its way to you until March third. There's so much stuff due to arrive on March third from that charming little uh, Scandinavian company that makes flat pack furniture. (laughs) I'm going to have so much work to do in early March, but anyway. The point being, we should be back to a more normal service, no more three-week gaps. And of course, most importantly, remember folks, stay patched so you stay secure. Well, that's going to wind us up for this week. Don't forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, and suggestions by emailing me at allison at podfeed.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at podfeed. Remember, everything good starts with podfeed.com. 
Do you want to become a patron like CJ has been for a really, really long time? Go to podfeet.com slash Patreon. If you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that by going to podfeet.com slash PayPal. Want to join the community and chat with us? You can do that at podfeet.com slash Slack or podfeet.com slash Facebook, depending on which you like better. And if you want to join in the fun of the live show like Bad Brad did for the first time this week, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic Nocilla Castaways. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.